the role of that broker is diminishing. There's, there's a target. It's, it's not dissimilar to cab drivers or taxi drivers five, seven years ago before Uber and Lyft come in. They had a target on their back. And the ones that have adapted and changed and come along with it, win. The ones that turn their back to it and argue it, they're, they're fighting a losing battle. Welcome to Investing in the US, an Aussie's Guide to US Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. I'm glad you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop when it comes to investing here in the United States. From real estate investing to business investing to being an entrepreneur. Each show I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they've created successful businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Hopefully these guests will inspire all of you my cracking listeners, to get off the couch and go out and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, no advertising, just straight into the nuts and bolts. If you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes, and it's easy, quick and simple. Shows iTunes that we're creating an incredible community of loyal listeners and loyal fans who want to invest here in the United States. And you can also follow me on on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can also find this show where this show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. But you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. Head over to ReedGoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these shows each and every week. You can see my ugly mug, but you can see the beautiful faces of my guests. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with another Aussie expat who is absolutely crushing it here in the United States, Mr. Tim Manson. Tim moved from Sydney to San Francisco back in 2012 and founded Property Connect, which is now listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Pretty bloody incredible. Tim is also the chairman of the real estate sector of Founders Network. You definitely need to check that out at foundersnetwork.com. And prior to taking the leap of faith and moving to the United States, Tim, the United States, I should say, Tim was the co-founder and managing director of the Manson Group, a Sydney-based real estate development company, which is actually proactively invests in a wide range of industries, including listed and unlisted uh, property trusts, mining companies, and digital and media technology companies. To top it all off, Tim has created Founders 400 here in the United States, which is a new technology company, and he is focusing his efforts on property development here in Southern California. An absolutely incredible guy, huge amount of knowledge and experience and a vast array across a vast array of industries, and we're going to find out a lot about that and much, much more, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Tim. Welcome to the show. How are you doing so, mate? Great, Reid. Thanks for having us. Mate, let's rewind the clock a little bit. I've just given you an incredible, well, you've given me an incredible introduction. I don't even know where to start. 
but maybe we can just uh, rewind the clock and take us back to when you made your first ever dollar. Yeah, sure, Reid. Uh, well, growing up through high school, I used to spend uh, most of my holiday periods working on site, uh, working on the construction sites that my dad was building. Um, and that really got me into the industry. And then as, as soon as I left high school, uh, you know, most of my, most of my friends went, went to university, went to college. And I, uh, you know, the biggest sort of advice I had from my dad was you can't learn building from books and studying. Um, <laughs> you know, so he said, you go work on site. So I, I literally started the day after I left high school on a carpentry apprenticeship and um, started laboring and did that for, for three years on site. Wow. Wow. And, that's, and so that was your introduction into the real estate game. And so talk to us to how you've gone from the tools into managing the Manson Group, because that's probably no small feat, right? Yeah, sure. It was really uh, something through the latter part of high school. I always you know, found building fascinating, even from an early age. Um, I'd, uh, I'd run around with tools when, when Dad was building our, own, our, our family house in right. Southern Sydney. Uh, and so I always wanted to build um, and it was just a matter of how to get there. Uh, and so uh, during that period of uh, doing my apprenticeship and, and builder's license in Sydney, uh, I also um, was very fascinated in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And so I, I completed a, a diploma of, of uh, finance in, uh, in financial markets, sorry, I should say. And um, during that time, I, I, you know, I was still living at mum and dad's at sort of, you know, as 17, 18, 19 years old. So I uh, would literally save every dollar out of, you know, my paycheck was uh, $6.80 an hour. <laughs> and so I'd save every, every dollar and, and put it into the stock market and, uh, and trade stocks, you know, small, small amounts of money, but it was mm -hmm. big for me. And, uh, and so it, it really, I got to learn out of making mistakes. And I think that was a, a huge benefit for me um, that, that, you know, especially both my parents let me do. They, they would really encourage me to do things. Um, and, and, and that was the best way to learn. Uh, and so through that process of learning building on site and, and how to deal with tradespeople, contractors, um, you know, and every, basically it's a, it, it, like anything, it's a people business. Right. And so there's so many different levels to deal with within the industry of, of, of development and construction. That's one aspect the other important aspect that I found really fascinating was finance mm -hmm. and, uh, and how you fund project, projects, how you get people behind them. And so that sort of come out of the, the finance side of it. And I was able to then, I, I believe, utilize those two sides to then, uh, you know, we created Manson Group in 2004. Uh, and it's, its main focus, we we'd consolidated a lot of different entities that were building over several years. And utilize those assets to then to then build more uh and the, the initial projects were uh self-storage funny enough yep. self-storage my, my first block of land that we that we committed to and bought was was in melbourne uh, in the suburb of noble park and uh and uh we, we had a an approval uh for a, a 750 uh, unit storage uh community or complex uh and we we decided to uh, take on a strata path with it and sell the units individually, mm -hmm. which was a, quite a new concept at the time. Uh, and uh, basically, you could buy a unit uh, for as little as $15,000. Uh, 
Uh, and those units went up to uh, about $160,000 by memory. And uh, we, as we were gaining the strata approvals, uh, we, um, we were pre-selling the units. Uh, we did all sorts of campaigns. Uh, we did a television campaign, radio campaign, uh, print media campaign. And we were looking at selling the complex in four different stages. Uh, and we sold out of the first half of it, so the two stages, in two weeks. Wow. We sold uh, $6.5 million worth of units in, in a couple of weeks. We had to put a call center on to manage the, the sales because the, the, the agent, the broker, couldn't handle calls. And uh, little, little to, to know we, that uh, a few months later, we'd taken all these deposits that are in the, the lawyer's trust account. And um, the local council, the local government, didn't give us the strata approval. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so so the we had to ref, we refunded all the deposits. Uh, we were back to square one. <laughs> so, so just for all those people listening out there, uh, strata, you know, what, how's that the equivalent of um, con, like condominium style stuff here in the United States? Well, right? it's, it's it's the exact same as a condo plan. Condo plan, yeah, condo yeah. track map, yep, sure thing. Yeah. So all those all those developers out there listening and they, they think they get a parcel of land and split it up into 20 little blocks, it's, it's the same sort of idea. Strata, condominium, same sort of stuff. But mm -hmm. mate, it sounds like you've got an incredible, you know, a lot of people who listen to this show, a lot of people who get involved in investing, choose either stock investing or real estate investing. You know, to, to have a foot in either camp, I think, and, and plus coming through the, the, the tools and the trades, really gave you, set you up for some pretty awesome career path and we're going to get into that in a minute but sure. it's interesting that you've come through with your dad on the on the tools but then you had that want and need to want to go and learn stocks uh tell me a little bit about that mindset because as i said you know me personally when i first picked up the book rich dad poor dad it was like oh i know i can hard assets is what i want to invest in not paper yeah. assets and there's always that conundrum when we're in real estate investing is like oh screw paper assets come and invest in hard assets you know yeah. what i mean so yeah how, how did that sort of mindset work it's, it's all relevant really to your own personal need uh, and what you enjoy the most. The biggest differences, and, and they all have positives and negatives. So I, I don't believe there's a, a hard and fast rule in what you should and shouldn't do. Right. It's about what you're comfortable with and, and, and to be honest with you, what you enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't enjoy it, you shouldn't be doing it because you're not going to be good at it. Right. And so... <laughs> Um, if you enjoy researching stocks, if you enjoy looking at different industries and valuations and multiples and, and, and really getting in the depth of the business, that's where you should go. The downside of, of, of I'd say, the, yeah, the negative out of the, the investing in the stock side of it is you, you don't have the control that you have investing in direct real estate for yourself. Uh, you know, with direct real estate, it's always best to be near the site or be able to go and visit the site, being able to see it, drive past it. Those sorts of advantages definitely are a positive for the real estate side. But again, it just gets back to what you enjoy. And for me, I enjoy all those sides of it. I enjoy looking into businesses. I enjoy uh, speaking with the management and, and dealing with it. I enjoy how the stock market works. And so it was just a, a more of a natural thing for me uh, when, when I do you know in the last five years five or six years since being over here I've, I've done less direct real estate investing and building I'm getting back into that now because I you know especially the last two three years I've really missed it mm -hmm. myself yeah. and so it's more out of a personal 
yep. preference point of view, but I, I, I can't, you know, I find it very hard to say, oh, well, that's better than this and this is better than that. It really yeah. comes down to your own personal preference. No, I think that's that's a great advice for anyone out there. And, and sa- same thing with me. I, you know, again, I didn't have a knowledge of stocks when I first got and started investing. I was in, I was a structural engineer, so I was like already around people who were investing in hard assets. So it just made natural sense to do it. So yeah, yeah I think you're really correct. You're really right. It's what what you draw passion to. Um, but mate, so talk to me now about the leap to the United States because you've you obviously got a really cracking business in in, in Australia. You decided to leave in 2012. What was that all about, and, and, and what were you trying to chase? I guess the the American dream, so to speak. <laughs> That's a that's a funny story. I'll, I'll give you the longer version. The short version is I got bored. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, we we'd done very well in development um, in Sydney and Melbourne up until you know the, the financial crisis. And what was what was quite funny actually was leading into that uh, a couple of years before the residential market come off uh, in Sydney, uh, and um, you know had a lot of different things happening in the market. Um, around that time, but we, we were very fortunate that we, both Dad and I, did uh, think okay, there's, there's got to there's be some sort of correction coming around. So mm-hmm. we really took a conservative path heading into 2008. Um, you know, um, consoled a lot of a lot of debt that we had um, and put ourselves in the best possible position. Uh, what was funny was was our accountants back in 2006. We had most of our most of our uh, investment in direct real estate, and they they were actually advising us to push push into stocks. <laughs> and so, when two thousand and eight happened, we fired them <laughs> because we, we didn't do that. And if we did do that, we'd be in trouble. Right. So uh, there's a big thing of having a practical nature to it, um, and, and being you know over the top of your your investments. But uh, so after two thousand eight, uh, development really dried up and see I was uh, 20 uh, what would I have been I was been 20 uh, 26 mm-hmm. at the time and um, going through that and then after it had settled um, development wise from a planning point of view um, became very difficult uh, the, the, the good town planners that were working in the local governments during the the better times and the lead the, the years leading up had left and worked directly for developers and were making more money. Mm-hmm. So the councils had, you know, really people that didn't know what they were doing, trying to approve uh, projects and it just wasn't happening. And then on the other side of it, you had a funding problem in that the, the competition once, once Kevin Rudd put in the, the a million dollar guarantee for the top four banks for deposits, it soaked up all the competition for finance. Right. So the big four banks in Australia then controlled it all again. And for me being 26, to go out and try and get projects going just became very, very difficult. So uh, it was more a strategy of, okay, let's wait. What do we do? We had a, a couple of years prior, two, three years prior, I'd started up a new division, uh, which was called Manson Group Design and Construction. Uh, and that's what my brother runs today. And... Um, Basically, we were then building for uh, mid to large size commercial uh, players, particularly car uh, dealers, uh, we're doing service centers, showrooms, uh, and a lot of them. And that business then really did well through that period because those mid to large size businesses were actually increasing their market share right. during a time when everyone else was struggling. Mm-hmm. So it really got, uh, did well. Uh, but by 2011, 
we were hoping the development side had come back by then and it didn't. And so I still found myself not sinking my teeth into anything in a way that I was used to. So I, I got bored. <laughs> um, I really got bored. And so I, I, I had a few ideas uh, having been in the industry for so long uh, around technology and just felt the industry hadn't been uh, really influenced yet by technology. And you look at any other big industry, it was, it was really driving forward. And I just, I was scratching my head around, you know, we, we were doing projects, 40, $50 million projects and taking huge amounts of risk as the, as the developer, as the builder, and designing it, the planning process, taking on the, um, you know, the, the, the handcuffs with the banks, and then a broker would come in at the end of it, an agent or a broker, and get their commission, sell the units, and have no risk in it. Mm. And I'm, I'm scratching my head, I'm like, this is crazy. And I've got a lot of friends that are agents and brokers and that I'd, I'd constantly say to them, I said, I don't know how you do it. You feel like a crook. <laughs> what have you, what have you done here? Yeah. And they're taking no risk. Right, right. And I'm saying, oh, Jesus. So just things like that, I felt this has got to change. This technology is bringing a lot of information to people in a good way. Right. It's enabling people to be more involved in a process, more informed to make decisions. And so that really spurred on uh, me to say, I've got to become, I've got to, I've got to be part of this. Mm -hmm. And so I was actually on a boys trip in early 2012. <laughs> uh, it was a weekend to Las Vegas. <laughs> it was an annual boys trip and it was a three day weekend. And, uh, I was. I spoke to with a few. few Your liver survived by the sounds of it. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Barely. And so I, I'd, I'd um, spoken to a few buddies in San Francisco that had done well that I knew through some mutual contacts, mm -hmm. and they were in technology, not in real estate technology, in, in different types of technology. And they'd been in San Francisco for a while, you know, Silicon Valley. And I was thinking of getting involved in technology at that stage, and I actually incorporated the business in Sydney uh, and looked at doing it there as a sort of like a, a side thing, you know, as a secondary thing. And I'd started it, I'd, I'd put some money into it, started getting it built. The CTO, the chief technology officer that I got at the time was then looking to get 170,000 a year, looking to get, I think it was 20% up front, plus then, you know, another 20 or 30% in the business once the product was built. And then we would have had to go get finance or, or, or uh, funding. And I'm just scratching my head going, this is crazy. It's not, the business isn't going to survive with that cost up front and, and just giving away all the equity. So when I spoke to the guys in San Francisco, they said, no, they said, that's the Australian way to do it. It's not, you can't build a business like that. Uh, it's people just grab, grab and grab. And, uh, and so I spoke to them and they said, look, if you really, I told them what I wanted to do. And they said, if you really want to, you know, a startup business, the first thing to understand is nine out of 10 of them fail within the first three years. Mm -hmm. And that's just a fact. And the sooner you realize that, the better. That's the risk. You know, there's a, roughly a 10% uh, chance that in three years time, you're still going to be doing that same thing. And that's, that's startups, right? Nine out of 10 startups. That's startups. Right, right, right. That's, that's technology startups. Um, and... You know, so, so you've, you've really got a 10% chance 
of being still still doing that 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 uh, that project or that business in three years time. So it becomes a matter of how do you how do you minimise the the uh, the chances of failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they said, look, it's it's you can't do it as a side business. You need to be knee deep and, and give it a good go. Right. Uh, and and to do that, the US uh, has a much stronger ecosystem for supporting early stage companies than Australia does. Mm-hmm. Um, Australia has wonderful people, wonderful technology, wonderful ideas, wonderful vision, but it's still, it, it's getting there. I've seen a huge improvement over the last five, six, seven years, but it still doesn't have um, the, the same as I said, ecosystem of support that the US has, and especially in the, the, the hubs of, of uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Seattle, Austin, Los Angeles, right. yep. uh, New York. They have areas where every coffee shop you go into, every restaurant you go to, every bar you go to, even on the street, every conversation is about tech startups. Right. Right. Um, and you just you are living and breathing at 24 hours a day, which, which you need to do. And, and I guess from a startup point of view, and that ten getting that ten percent success, giving the failure rate of so many startup businesses, as you said, as, a, as your, your mate said, you can't be doing this half-assed, and you've got to go, you got to go full slog. So that was really your why, I guess, to come to the United States, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. I, I put myself, I put myself in a thing because I was comfortable in Sydney. Right. I had a great life. I, I, I um, you know, I was, I was very comfortable. Mm-hmm. But being then. 28, I think, 28 or 29, I, I put myself in, in the shoes and I, I thought, okay, if I, in five years' time, if I don't give this a go, am I going to regret it? Right. Even if it fails. And so I, I honestly thought about that. I, th- I said, well, okay, five years' time, I'm going to give it five years. If this doesn't work, I can always come back and build again. Right. If I if I don't do it and I'm still doing the same thing and I'm still currently sitting here in my hands, you know, a bit bored, not, not having been able to, to get back into to, to direct projects, right? Then I'm gonna I'm gonna then be say mid thirties and I'm gonna think, oh, I, I might not be in a position at that mm-hmm. stage to, to take the risk on. Right. Right. So that really made up my mind. That's incredible. That's such an incredible mindset to say your 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 fear of not giving it a crack. Is is more than the fear of failure, and I think that's a really important important thing exactly. for someone to say. Uh, what, what's um, uh, Tim um, Grant Grant Cardone is you know the uh, your, the biggest fear is unlived potential, and, yes. uh, and and it's so important as an entrepreneur. And you know we we constantly struggle with things. It's like I could leave this secure day job of six figures and whatever, and what and, and you said a secure life, and I and you would have had it set right, or go off and throw it all, all the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks right? yes. in a completely new country, starting from scratch, no networks. And that's what this show is all about is, is interviewing guys like yourself and other guys who've come here and just absolutely crushed it and, and giving it a good old, 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 old shake. Because the other thing of it is being an outsider, you come to the United States, you've realized, okay, Australia doesn't have the support network I need to start this startup. I know I've got mates in Silicon Valley which can support it. So my downside risk is maybe a little bit minimised if, if I tried it, if you tried it in Australia. Would that be correct? Uh, yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. Because as I said, that the it comes back to a lot of things, but 
the cost of living, particularly in Sydney, really has a big detriment effect on the start of new companies. Right. It's a huge, because people have to have a standard of living and with that standard of living being so high, they don't take risks. Right. <laughs> um, and I, I know that in, in San Francisco, you know, the last few years, that the, the, the cost of living is very high in terms of rent and, mm -hmm. and, and, and housing, but everything else is quite cheap. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I completely yes. agree with that. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So you can get by uh, and they have a lot of um, places uh, like startup house and things like that, 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 that back entrepreneurs that when, and you, you live in the office above, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a lot yeah. of Aussies and, and Kiwis would do that. Um, they'd move over and they'd, they'd live in bunk beds above the office. Right. And that's the commitment that, that people show in, in their belief of making something happen. And that's, that's what you have to do. 100%, 100%. So, mate, talk to me about your view of real estate technologies. You know, there's been a lot of disruptors in the in the industry. You know, uh, I work in, I've been working in construction for many years. There's, you know, modular housing. Um, a lot of technologies are coming, crowdfunding. You've got Bitcoin now backing a bunch of, you know, investments from, from the finance side. Tell me what your thought is on just, as you said, you've identified this area of, you know, to me personally, the real estate is still very much like not the wild, wild west, but deals are still done over a handshake, you know, deals, you know, you know with, with the physical assets. Um, how is technology going to shape the future of real estate from everything from financing to getting deals done to getting deals built? Sure. So I'll give a little bit of a background of what's happened and that really steers on where it's going. Sure. So funny enough, Australia with, uh, we're called ILSs, which is internet listing services. Uh, such as Zillow, uh, Trulia, yep. uh, and so forth. They, they come around in the mid-2000s, 2005, 2006, here in the US. Uh, and as you, you know, there's the MLS system here, the multiple listing service. That really held on to the inventory. So if you wanted to know what was for, for sale, you, you had to go through a broker because the broker then had access to the MLS. Zillow, the likes of Zillow and Trulia changed that. Uh, they they enabled the average consumer over here to access those listings online, and that changed a lot for the landscape in U.S. real estate. It, it took quite a few years and quite a lot of money, venture capital money, to back those consumer-facing sites to to change that dynamic because it it was it really gave the consumer a lot more information and power to make decisions uh, to move forward where before you, you had to speak to brokers. Yeah. You had to go through that path. Uh, and so the brokers then lost a, a fair bit of uh, control in that process. That was the beginning of this entire piece of, of, of what we're going through now is that brokers which I believe will still have a position always because it is a people business and you've got to be comfortable. And it's just such a big transaction for people, you know, buying a house is typically the largest transaction most people go through in their life financially. But the role of that broker is diminishing, right? There's, there's a target. It's, it's not dissimilar to cab drivers or taxi drivers five, seven years ago before Uber and Lyft come in. They had a target on their back. And the ones that have adapted and changed and come along with it, win. The ones that turn their back to it and argue it, they're, they're fighting a losing battle. Right. 
Um, and so I feel that brokers are in a similar position right now in that the ones that do embrace the technology and move forward are going to do very, very well. The ones that don't and stand on their heels and just ignore it and, you know, oh, no, it's, I know how to do that. This is the way I do it. They're mm -hmm. going to lose. Mm -hmm. They're in a, they're in a limited time uh, and their, their commissions are, are getting squeezed. Uh, you, you got discounted models, um, you know, such as purple bricks, really yep. making inroads. Uh, and that, that's the way it's heading. So that initial shift with just a simple technology of online listings going from print to digital <clears throat> changed a huge, um, huge area of, of the market on how, how people get into uh, buying and selling real estate. So venture capital poured into those early stage uh, internet listing services. They've all since been, you know, a huge either, either shareholders or, or majority of shareholders in those are media companies. They saw that shift coming and have taken that, that print into digital and were able to, to really get the, uh, get the uh, distribution out there by using their existing media channels um, so that people then know about you know, going on to Zillow and Trulia and so forth. So I saw a statistic not long ago that I think it's 98% of, of, of home buyers uh, do use the online listing services uh, for their for their real estate transactions, so it's you know it's, it's it's said and done that that's that's been widely successful. Venture capital money went into that, and and that was the only really venture capital money going into real estate technology up until about three years ago, um, because the venture capital uh, guys or, or people doing the investment they understood that uh, they understood that product, they understood the consumer facing side of an ILS. The real estate tools underneath that, that actually function within the uh, services of real estate, whether it be construction, whether it be uh, transactional, uh, better, better efficiency tools for agents and brokers, they didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they weren't investing in it. If you look at the amount of venture capital now going into real estate technology, it's pretty much doubled every year over the last three to four years. Wow. And it keeps going. Um, it's now, real estate is now in the top five categories uh, in terms of amounts of, of venture capital going into it each year. And it's, it's a highlighted uh, industry. So, and you mean going into it from a technology point of view, correct? Yes. Right, yes. Right, right. And so in the next five to 10 years, we will really look, we'll look back in even five years, but you know, you can imagine in 10 years, we'll look back and think, how the hell were we doing real estate that way? <laughs> we, we really will. It, the, the, the amount of change that we will see will be astronomical. Right. Um, because you've got now, uh, I'll give you a great example. Um, Travis Kalanick, who was the co-founder and CEO of Uber, he, uh, he left Uber last year. Um, he's now started his own fund uh, and one of the three areas that it's focusing on that fund is real estate technology. Wow. That's incredible. Um, so when you've got people like that openly saying, this is one of our three areas of concentration, you can, you can bet the next five, 10 years, there's going to be billions of dollars poured into it. 
Right. So what sort of advice can you give to the average investor out there, knowing that this real estate technology is coming, the wave is coming? How do you ride it and surf it or how do you get sucked out the back? If you're in real estate, no matter what area, um, you know, I was with a buddy the other day, uh, had dinner with him on Friday night, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, he was with a CRM business uh, for the last 12 odd years. He's been in real estate, uh, sorry, he's been in technology for, you know, all his career. Uh, he's just, um, uh, late last year, he went from a, a large CRM business. He's now uh, running a, uh, a role for a real estate, a construction management software company um, for all of Asia Pacific. So he's made that jump because he, he sees the, the next five or 10 years with technology in real estate. And he, know, he doesn't know much about construction, right. but, but he's learning and he, he can see it. And so again, you, you're seeing people like that jump. People within the industry, they need to embrace it. Mm-hmm. They, they need to really spend, see, technology isn't a, it's funny, technology is actually not an industry anymore. Technology right. is its own beast that, that, that has tentacles that reach to every industry. Right. It's, it's different. It's a different mindset. So if you don't, uh, if you don't take it on, or as I said, whatever sort of game you're in, he's in construction software. So if you're in construction, if you're a general contractor and you're not taking on this new technology in software and development, you'll, you'll start to have competitors that will, and you'll be left behind. Right. No, I think that's incredible. And, and I think from a, I see it on the, on the boots on the ground from a, in the construction side of it, that it's all right now, personally, I see a lot of, you know, a lot of technologies, you know, um, from, from designing CAD and integrating and looking at clash detection on site to try and avoid, you know, wastage and all that sort of stuff. But you still got the average, you know, laborer who's maybe not keeping up. So you've got the technologies going forward, everyone on the financing, design, you know, getting the deal done, everyone's pushing forward on that, but you've still got the construction lagging a little bit because the on-site guys just don't have that maybe skill set, uh, which is then requiring the laborers to be more skilled, you know, and, and, and have to have more tech, they have to have more, more yeah. learning, more schooling, all that sort of stuff. And that's where it's like, well, for the average person out there who is a carpenter or, or, or a concrete guy or a chippy, you know, you've got to, how do you move with the times? And, and you, I think your story about not actually formally going to university, you're, you're, you're in a prime example of you can learn. It's just, you've got to be willing to adapt and understand and embrace change. Right? Yeah. You, you've got to be proactive with it. Yep. So if you, if you're sitting there and then you're laboring or you're, you're on the tools with, with carpentry plumbing, um, that's great. That's the best, best thing to do. You've got to be looking at, if you want to move ahead, you've got to be looking at what's happening with technology. What's, what's, how's the industry changing? Who's using what? Who you speak to? And if you, pro, if you take a proactive approach to it and, and get yourself involved in it some way mm-hmm. um, by using it or... or, or um, or, or getting involved with some technology company. For example, if you don't have money to put into it, if you're a, if you're a carpenter or a carpenter apprentice, if you go and chase companies that are in construction management software, I bet you they will want to talk to you and you, you can become an advisor in that business. Right. You'll get a couple of points of equity for advising them over a few years because you're the one doing it outside. Right. <laughs> I want to ask you questions. 
oh, when you get there at site in the morning, how do you, how do you check into site? How do you log into the site? How mm-hmm. how's the safety procedures work? Right. They don't know those things. Right. So they're technology they're, guys, right? They're, 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 they're right. Code. <laughs> That's right. They're after people to help them with that. And, and typically a lot of these, or every startup has, has advisors. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as a, as a carpenter, you, you have a lot of value to those businesses right. Uh, right. to help them. So there's, there's, there's all sorts of ways you can get involved, but it's about being proactive about it. No, I, I completely agree. I think that's great advice for someone out there listening to this, just thinking, geez, you know, technology is just consuming. My job may not be here in 20 years time or whatever it might be, but you've got to be able and, and willing to, you know, that old saying, you, you can't teach, a, teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you're going to, that, 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 that saying's out the window because everyone needs to continue educating themselves about whatever's coming down the pike. Uh, so you can be ready for the next change, which is coming, which, you know, real estate technology, it's going to be huge. So I think yes. that's really, really incredible. Mate, I want to um, wrap up the show here, but just tell me, what do you, what's your plan for the next uh, 12, 12 months and beyond personally with your own businesses and, 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 and what, where you're headed? Sure. Uh, well, I've exited my previous business last year. Um, I've uh, created a, a new company called Founders 400, uh, which is really born out of, founders being able to tell their own story and their own journey mm-hmm. uh, to teach other founders, um, you know, what the, what the lessons are and, and hopefully hope, hopefully help uh, the industry and that, that as a, a charitable um, path on, on that as well. So that's a way of giving back yep. um, for a lot of founders. Um, I've created a new technology company called hit X, uh, which is focusing on optimizing uh, the transactions, uh, not only in real estate, but a lot of different, uh, a lot of different industries, uh, and uh, and also I'm enjoying getting back into uh, direct real estate development yep. here in Southern California, which I uh, I get out of bed every morning and really really enjoy. It's miss the smell of the concrete on on the on the site. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I do. <laughs> I really do. I, I um, there's something there's something about being able to touch and feel yeah. something coming out of the ground. And technology, don't get me wrong, technology is great seeing a product come to life, but I still don't get that same feeling as seeing a building coming out of the ground. No, but I think one of the biggest things that I've learned from just this conversation with you, mate, is you're, you're adaptable. You, you know how to adapt your, your situation, but you, you're also true to yourself. And you're also creating ecosystems that can help support different pillars of the business, right? Not just the, yeah. the construction side or the acquisition side. You've got the technology side. There might be some other aspect of the business that you can create that's going to help you create essentially a more stable ecosystem of businesses for yourself, which will then create you know, long-term wealth and all the other great stuff that comes along with it and essentially legacy. Which is what we're all, which we're all, all, all about. So, um, mate, well, look to wrap up the show. I always like to ask my guests to give me their top five investing tips. You ready to dive into it? Sure. Mate, what has been? What is your daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Um, good question. Daily track is I use a I use a product called Trello. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Kanban board system and I still have a notebook. I still use my notebook. I still handwrite that sort of side, but I'd say Trello keeps me on track every day mm-hmm. as I have the boards of, you know, the priority things to do, what calls I have to make. Uh, and that keeps me on, you know, the lists of what I have to do every day. 
Yep, I think that's you know writing lists, and I, I personally tried the technology side. I was well, I can't remember what I was using. I was using another software, but I'm still just I'm an old school like I just like writing it down and then crossing it out and then yes. looking back at the day and yeah. that little simple like oh crap I've done ten tasks yeah. today. It feels good. It's a little it's a little win. It's yeah. A little, like, oh, I'm kicking. Exactly. Because when you're being an entrepreneur is very lonely. So it's like, you know, yes. great. I've got, oh, look, I've got 10 things done today. Fantastic. Pat on That's the back. You know? <laughs> because there's always going to be up and down. Yeah, yes. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mate, who has been the most influential person in your career to date? Uh, Dad, without a doubt. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And he, he's still going strong back in uh, with Manson Company? Yeah, he sure is. He, he's, his background was in actually commercial graphics. Oh, okay. Uh, he built up a very successful business over 50 years and then over his career would build and then he got into building full-time in the mid to late 90s and mm -hmm. took a step back in that business but yeah he's been uh both him and mum but uh dad uh from a career perspective in work has really steered me with a lot of things and you know i speak to him most days even yep. now uh yep. to, you know i run all sorts of things past him that's awesome. That's a great relationship to have and hopefully something that, you know, you'll, you'll bestow upon your kids in the future or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> Mate, what's the most influential tool in your business? You talked a lot about real estate technologies today, but is there any one tool that you love the most that helps you be successful? <laughs> My phone. <Yeah. laughs> My phone. Know so many people on this show tell me that their phone is the number one thing, you know, just it, so simple. It, I, so, so I use a tool communication wise, don't get me wrong, email's great. We use a tool internally within the business teams called Slack, yep. uh, which has been phenomenal. It's, it's basically instant messaging, which is say iMessage or WhatsApp combined with email in a business sense. You can put attachments in and all that sort of thing. And that over the last two years has been, you know, a lot of communications done that way internally. Yep, That's been excellent, but I, I still spend most of my day walking around the outside of our, our office on the phone. <laughs> yeah. I think you're the one who actually introduced me to Slack. I now use it with all my analysts and uh, it's you yeah. know, create, create, a, create a channel, it's uploading, it's easy. It's, you can go back to that channel and look, you don't have to go through emails and it's just, yeah. it really, it's, a, it's a simple tool, but I, yeah. I use it. And then thank you for, for yeah. introducing me. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what has been the biggest failure in your career to date and what have you learned? Oh, I've had a lot of them. <laughs> probably, do a whole, probably do a whole episode on that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, to move forward, you've got to fail. Right, uh, exactly. That's the best way to learn. Um, I'd say from a, a personal point of view, I, uh, I'd say, um, uh, I'd say I, I trust people a lot. Mm -hmm. And so it has gotten me into trouble. Right. Um, uh, with 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 either hiring the wrong people or working with the wrong people, and it's you know at the time you've got to do it. But I'd, I'd say that that's probably in my past been the biggest um, biggest side from a personal point of view. Um, how do you how do you combat that now 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 that you've identified it? What are you doing differently? I'm a lot more cautious, and I, I'm taking I suppose I'm taking a lot more mature approach to it. Mm -hmm. But before you know you're young and you're you're so positive about things, and I still am. But you're so, oh, yep, that person handles that and this is that. It just doesn't happen that way. Yep. And it's only something you can learn over time. Mm -hmm. um, and just being, I think in saying that, you've got to put yourself in a position where you've always got a plan B. Yep, 100%. Um, 100% agree. And so it's funny because in certain situations, especially with a, a new business, with a new startup, 
so, sometimes or a lot of times actually you can't actually do that because you just you, you don't have the capabilities or the, the the financial means to do it so you do have to take risks but at the same time you've always got to be thinking all right if this doesn't work out what's well, how do i go that's about it that's no, that's that's an incredible uh thing to identify in yourself and i'm probably a little bit the same and probably being expats as well you come into a new country you're really eager to like oh get this thing going and let's you know what yeah you're, you sound awesome let's do it you know like and it's just jumping yeah. into bed a little bit too quickly <laughs> but um but but no i completely hear, hear you what you said mate to wrap up the show last question where can people reach you they want to find out more about what you do founders 400 everything and anything that you're doing in your business ecosystem because you've got a lot going on. So where, where's the best place for people to hit you up? Uh, email. Um, yep. And just uh, email me at tim at founders400.com. Fantastic, mate. Well, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show. I just want to quickly summarize some of the big takeaways that, you know, I took away from just interviewing with you. I think that the, the first one was, you know, invest in something that you like, you know, you're passionate about, do the research. We talked about stocks and, and real estate earlier, paper assets versus hard assets, why you chose to go down that path. Uh, I think, you know, obviously trusting people has been a big failure of yours, which you've identified, but also that the big one for me was the way the technology is coming in real estate. You've got to be prepared. Uh, you've got to be willing to, to, to surf the wave. Otherwise you're going to be sucked out the back and, and you're in a prime example that you don't need fancy degrees. You don't need any of that sort of stuff. You just need a mindset in order that you're willing to change your mindset in order to grow, in order to keep up with what's happening in technology and particularly in real estate. And it sounds like an absolute incredible time that we're in uh, yes. to get involved with real estate technology. So to keep, I, for everything from, as we said, from, from the transactional side to the financing side to the construction side and design, it's all changing and it's changing for the better. Uh, yes. And it's, it's trying to keep afloat uh, as, as, these, as these industries are changing. Did, did I leave anything out there, mate? No, I covered it very well, Reid. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for dropping by. We enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Reid. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice and actionable tips. And if you want to see any of the show notes, head over to my website at reedgoosens.com. Make sure you click on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your investing IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. investing.